episode of the CX Loyalty Podcast. My name is Chuck Christensen, and I'm the Chief Revenue Officer here at CX Loyalty. In today's episode, we're going to cover two key themes in the world of loyalty, the impact of COVID on the travel and hospitality sector, and the emergence and characteristics of the Gen Z customer and consumer. And we have today with us a great guest, a good friend, and an expert in the field, Dave Canty. Dave, would you uh, introduce yourself briefly? Hey Chuck, uh, great to be with you today. Um, appreciate the opportunity. I'm Dave Canty, founder and CEO of NZ Loyalty. Uh, this is a company I started about 18 months ago after I left IHG, um, where I was VP of Global Loyalty. Prior to four years with IHG, I spent eight years at JetBlue and was the creator of the True Blue program for, for JetBlue. I'm just looking forward to the discussion. Terrific. Well, thanks, thanks for thanks for coming on, and and Dave is very happy this year because uh, he's a Liverpool fan, right? I am a Liverpool fan. Have been since 1974, Chuck. Long suffering and now celebrating. You know, but what I will say is that wherever you are in the world, if you're a Liverpool fan, you never walk alone. <laughs> I hear a song coming on. That's terrific. All right. Well, we have a great topic for today. Great in the sense that it's a it's a great challenge uh, to the extent that we we talk about COVID uh, and its effects on on the the travel and the hospitality sector. Um, so we have a, a number of questions lined up for you, um, and uh, so let's get after it. I, I did want to say, you know, so for me, uh, we too are in the travel industry at CX Loyalty. You know, COVID clearly has presented a challenge um, for businesses. Uh, for consumers, the entire sector um, and brands alike, um, you know, 8.9 trillion of the world's GDP is in one way associated with uh, with travel, um, and that's 10 percent of the global GDP. So there are lots of jobs and livelihoods, living, uh, you know, riding on what happens to the sector, um, and you know, in total, something like 330 million jobs worldwide, and, and we've seen some some of the job losses here in the states. Um, and, you know, airlines recently, uh, in the wake of some delayed aid coming from the U.S. government, uh, have laid off or, or permanently laid off rather than furloughed uh, an unprecedented number of employees. So, you know, what impacts from your perspective, because you have a very unique perspective in the business, uh, do you see both in business and leisure travel, both long and short term, however you want to take it? Yeah, um, well, I mean, business travel, uh, quite frankly, is is probably gone for quite some time, or at least pre-COVID business travel, if we want to kind of look at it that way. I don't think you're going to see that return, or at least not to those levels. And any business travel that does return, you're probably talking years out. The, 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 the challenge here is, first of all, there is a budget consideration. So organizations um, are obviously looking at preserving cash, but they also realize that face-to-face conversations are are important, certainly when you start talking about building uh, business relationships. 
But that being said, through COVID, we have seen the uh, viability of platforms like Teams, um, WebEx, Zoom, Skype, and and others. And and we've also seen the viability of business being conducted across those platforms. So on a go-forward basis, my point of view is that business will continue to be conducted over those platforms. And that will have long-lasting effects on the um, business and uh, the business travel and hospitality sector. That being said, I do see the yearning for some level of leisure travel. Um, And that will come back. Now, is there a generational kind of element to that? There will be. I think you'll find that people who have traditionally traveled, whether it be for business or leisure, are continuing to yearn to travel. They're looking to get out of the the monotony, uh, for want of a better term, of being cooped up. So what does it take for us to kind of get there? A lot of it's going to be down to trust. And when I say trust, in the in the the travel experience uh, so trusting your airline to ensure that they've taken the the necessary steps to protect you and by the way i've seen a number of airlines do phenomenal jobs in 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 that already uh, trusting uh, your hotels and lodging as well because this includes kind of the likes of airbnb and so forth to utilize and and execute the highest cleanliness standards uh, possible And we've seen a number of organizations kind of put partnerships in place with significant hygiene brands to ensure that that trust is available. I think the industry is doing everything it can to try and assure the population that they're ready to take care of you. Um, It's just a case of, is it safe? And how do I rely on what I'm being told and, and so forth? So we'll see how we go. But I do think that travel will come back at some point, but it's going to be it's going to be leisure led. So I want to make sure I hear you correctly. So is, is business travel never going to come back? I mean, I, I know it's hard to have a crystal ball. Right. And I think you noted that people still have to have that one to one connection and We've got platforms that are accomplishing. I mean, we, we right now are on Teams, right? So th- this is accomplishing something we might normally do in person. Um, do you think it's uh, the recovery will, will simply be longer or do you think it's just never going to be the same? Some of it's going to be subjective, uh, yeah. Chuck, in the sense that, um, in my view, business travel as we knew it is not mm-hmm. returning. I do not expect it to return to uh, the way it was. Um, There will be a new generation of business travel. And that means that you'll find there'll be a mixture between utilizing these types of platforms um, Mm -hmm. and rather than doing six trips, uh, client visits uh, a quarter or whatever it is, that's reduced to one. Because what you've got to remember is it's not just a case of business people going out to meet their clients. It's about their clients as well being comfortable receiving you. So I think there's got, there's, it's double-edged in, in that sense. And because of that, I think the business travel of the future is going to be different to what it was before COVID. 
And do you think so? So one of the things that I've been thinking about also, and, and, and it's technically, I guess, corporate travel. But if you look at all the folks that are uh, essentially working from home, and I, mm-hmm. I do think that there's, you know, if I was in commercial real estate, I'd, I'd even be more worried than being in travel, right? Do you think that some of it will be made up possibly by folks having to essentially choosing where they live because they can work almost anywhere and then maybe some business travel uh, coming about or, or a new sector of business travel where essentially they have to travel to to meet the folks they work with in person. Is that something that's possible or a bright spot there? You know, it's 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 funny. People um, people have started to realize that they can essentially work from anywhere. And we have seen we I mean, we I think we've seen some data in the United States where people have actually sold up and moved to a different part of the country and more or less said, if I'm going to cocoon, I'm going to cocoon in good weather. So we've seen that. And I think the interesting thing for me outside of travel that I have been keeping an eye on is the real estate market. And that seems to be quite strong now. That's a double edged sword as well, because what's happening is. People that are well established and can afford it are continuing to invest in in real estate. Um, so that has sustained the the real estate market and the price the pricing of of real estate. But what that's doing is it's probably actually moving the opportunity for the younger generation to even get on the ladder because that sustained pricing is up there while. Yeah. You're also seeing massive uh, unemployment. And if we look at the the Gen Zs of the the world, this is a generation that are coming into the workforce or have just entered the workforce. And they're probably wondering what, you know, what's my long term kind of prospect here of of employment? So I and and that ultimately is is uh, making them think about their ability to kind of get on the, the real estate ladder as well. So I think everything's kind of interlinked. You've got travel, you've got real estate, you've got confidence in in uh, the, the overall economy. Yeah, no, I think that that's a that's a great point, and I think when we talk about Gen Z, I want to explore that a little bit more. If you look at loyalty programs within this uh, the matrix of problems that that are, are facing the travel and hospitality industry, how have they played a role? And 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 do you, are there examples of of brands that are are, are doing it right? And, and what are some of the things that uh, would be sensible for? Uh, these sectors to do with uh, their position themselves most favorably and to the extent that it's within a multi-program or schema? So traditionally in downturn economies, loyalty programs uh, really shine and prove their worth to, to their organizations because those are the, the customers that you can generally rely on to sustain you through uh, a downturn. However, this is slightly different because we have an economic downturn that's coupled with a, a health crisis that challenges the loyalty programs to really sustain you. However, what we have seen, <clears throat> what we have seen, is a number of brands have utilized their loyalty programs, even from a, even from a communications perspective, to continue the dialogue with their customer base to keep them informed to, you know, in some cases, uh, send out offers and, and so forth to try and stimulate travel. It's a, it's a fine balance because what's happening is we, we've seen 
massive kind of layoffs and unemployment. Um, so a lot of those people that have been laid off are now out of work and they're kind of looking at the loyalty programs that they're a part of almost as a bank balance of sorts. Yeah. And they're going to try and look at, well, how can I how can I utilize this to protect my own cash kind of position and, and so forth? Even though these people aren't necessarily traveling, it's very important that brands within the travel and hospitality uh, world sustain, you know, keep maintain that relationship. So maintain that dialogue and keep those customers up to speed on what's going on, reassure them. Um, about what steps your brand is taking and and so forth. We've seen we've seen a number of brands do it very well. I think Delta uh, for for one. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the the home of Delta. They've done a, a phenomenal job both from a comms perspective and uh, a travel experience perspective. Because I I actually have travelled recently on Delta. And from the moment of kind of making the reservation all the way through to the, the post kind of uh, travel experience, the comms has, has been very human and in touch with, with what matters to you. So I've been impressed with them. I've been impressed with some of the, the, the hotel brands out there. Certainly the ones that I've stayed at have, have got the message out. I think IHG have done a lot uh, on the, the, the hygiene side of things, as have Marriott and Hilton. I still think as I kind of look around, I'm still seeing two thirds, if not 50 percent of the aircraft empty. Um, I'm seeing hotels that are want of a better term dead in the sense that you know, you check in, you go through the hygiene protocols and you, you check in, you go to your room, you're, you're essentially kind of quarantined in your room. There's there's nothing else going on within within the, the hotels, at least the ones that I've stayed in. It's a, it's a very different type of experience. But I do think that people do reemerge and get on planes and stay in hotels will ultimately adapt to understanding that this is kind of a, a new way of doing things. and. You know, that's that's human nature in some ways we adapt. So, like I said, a lot of brands are, are doing the right things um, and they're they're keeping keeping their loyalty members informed. We've seen status matching going on. We've seen status extensions. We've seen the protection of credits and, and so forth. Hopefully when confidence returns um, to the travel industry, those brands where their loyalty members have got credits in their credit shells or whatever. Those brands need to kind of stimulate travel by making sure that their customers are aware that you have this these credits available to you. These are the the opportunities for you to to use them and so forth. Because quite frankly, I've kind of lost track of the credits I have uh, from one brand to the next. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. If you if you're not aware of it, in some cases, those credits may expire. So it's going to be important that brands let let uh, their their consumers know that look, you have these credits available to you, and utilize them to stimulate travel uh, again when confidence returns. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and we've seen. You know, also, we've seen flexibility be required really by the customer, um, especially when they've booked and, and their plans have changed as a result of uh, COVID, where normally they would have 
perhaps forfeited or have uh, paid a, a change fee. And we've seen a lot of flexibility coming from the brands, uh, especially when redeeming for travel, rather than penalizing the customer, making sure that uh, that they're taken care of. And that and that was a, a pretty hard left turn from where they were going pre-COVID. Um, but you know, a couple of things we've seen in in, in our world. You know, uh, air air is down, continues to be down. You know, over two thirds. Uh, we've seen a little bit of a bright spot in hotel in that it, it's rising, uh, and that's probably a reflection of some of the drive and stay because I think people are willing to take a certain amount of risk to to cure their cabin fever. In some bright spots that that I think back up or buttress, you know, the recovery of of leisure travel. So I think that's really interesting. Do you do you think drive and stay and and maybe the combination of business and leisure almost is is a is a bright spot if there is a bright spot right now for for travel and hospitality? I do think it's a bright spot. When you when you say drive and stay, uh, I immediately think of Choice Hotels. Who I my understanding is that there's a Choice Hotel within a mile of of every interstate, and I think they've done a really nice job in some of their advertising campaigns to allow their customer base to understand that these are the measures that we have taken to ensure that you've got confidence in in staying with us. So. Airline industry is probably going to have to reset at some point. Um, but what you will see is people that people will drive 300 miles now to, to take meetings um, and they will stay at hotels that are close to, to the freeways and, and so forth. So I think that's that's where hotels and rental car companies as well, by the way, in the mobility sector need to look at opportunities because Drive and stay, you, you may have consumers that are concerned about putting, you know, lots of miles on their cars. So sure. there's an opportunity for the um, for the mobility companies like Avis, Hertz and all of the others to kind of get out ahead of that and let people know that, you know, you can you can utilize our our services and our cars um, to, to get you to where you need to be um, and even combine that with the hotels. So I, th- I think that's definitely a healthy kind of growth within the travel sector. And hopefully that breeds confidence as well, certainly for the hospitality sector, because if people are going to be driving and staying, they're going to get used to the fact that, OK, my hotel is my hotel experience is actually quite safe. And that may actually boost their confidence to kind of go further afield and, and look at resorts and, and, and so forth. I know the the whole family travel kind of thing is also something to keep in mind. You know, back in the day where you piled all the kids into the car and, and headed off to the annual family kind of vacation, that's probably going to be something that you're going to see a reemergence of again. Yeah, no, I, I've seen it. And, and we actually had one of our brands actually year over year, if you look at the last month, September, uh, is actually up year over year in terms of hotel redemption. So that's, that's a credit card uh, issuer. Uh, so I, d- I do think it's indicative of a, of a shift from from air and to to really, you know, drive and stay because um, that's most likely how they're going to get there. And, and I agree with you. It's an opportunity for the car rental and the transport brands to really uh, to really uh, take that and, and really uh, put some marketing around it because I think it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. So, so shifting just a little bit, we talked a little bit about the next generation of, of travelers and, and Gen Z, some of the younger folks. And, and some of the struggles that are, are right in front of them. What does the next generation of travel and hospitality customer, the Gen Z, and really it's the current, it's a current generation. 
What does it look like to you and, and what are some of the things that brands can do to capture that segment uh, and engage them in such untraveled times? Um, it's a great question. Um, what I would say is Gen Z are probably the most socially conscious generation since the silent generation. And I think I think they're they're they will connect with brands that they feel are are doing the right thing, whether that's health and safety, whether it's ensuring that they're taking measures to um, reduce waste and, and they, they want to make sure that they connect with brands that are thinking about how they how they're impacting the environment. You're, you're starting to see a lot of this happen within the, the travel space. All of the, the hotel companies um, are starting to reduce the use of single use plastics. Um, in all of their all of their hotels, um, I think you're even starting to see that on on airlines as well. But the other thing is, this generation are also very debt averse, which is kind of interesting given the the millennial generation that came before them. And by the way, I don't want to kind of I'm not trying to tag generations as good or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that the millennials were were careless, but they they kind of grew up in um, a generation where credit kind of meant you know it didn't particularly matter about getting deeper and deeper in debt because credit was freely available. Yeah, but Gen Zs are very conscious of that, so they want to make sure that they look at things from an affordability perspective. Now that doesn't mean to say that they're not going to splash out and treat themselves to to a nice experience. And you will find that they'll generally travel in, in economy and economy plus and so forth. And they'll they'll look for the, the best deals from a lodging perspective. But on occasion, they'll treat themselves and go up. But linked to that also is the, the co-brand space. And co-brand credit cards, certainly within the travel space, have been a fertile ground for the generations that have come before to accumulate um, travel wealth, for want of a better term, with with currency. This generation, as it comes to loyalty programs, are looking for what do I get quickly? So they like you to keep uh, programs simple, have some level of value return uh, that they can realize quite quickly. Now, some of that is digital couponing. And so credit cards, they're not as attractive to to uh, travel credit cards as, as the generation before, because it doesn't necessarily make sense to them that I've got to continuously accumulate all of these kind of miles and points to get something way out in the future that might, might be um, uh, an airline seat or, or a, a hotel. Now, my hotel friends and airline friends out there might say that's actually not correct, Dave, and we've got facts to to back that up. I think in my own research, I'm actually starting to see that Generation Zs are looking for credit cards that make sense to them, whether they be cash back or um, if there was an opportunity to, to utilize that accumulates a currency that gives them a return in their everyday life. That's more meaningful to them. So in the travel space, we've got to start thinking about our co-brand products and the value propositions of those. And is there a way that we can evolve them to become a little bit more relevant? So I would encourage the, the airlines and the hotels to, to work with their 
their issuing partners to, to figure out how do we make this value proposition a little bit more relevant? Those are those are great points. Uh, clearly, socially conscious is, is something that's going to resonate with Generation Z. So we have to look at how we can deliver value uh, in everyday life. I think those are great points. And, and, and a lot of that sounds like micro engagement, right? Making sure that we understand that they, they're not necessarily going to be point accruers, but they will hopefully be engagers. And certainly as we look at social media and the various certain platforms out there, they, that reinforces the that, that quick serotonin, there's a lot, lot to be said for, for what, what's happening there, but, but that is a behavior. So I, I, I agree with you, and I think, um, I think brands that, that are delivering value every day, that is adjacent perhaps to the proposition that they have, and, and that is, is certainly relevant and hopefully personalized to the customers will, will make a lot of sense in terms of a success plan for uh, Generation Z. Yeah, one, one thing I would add as well, Chuck, certainly uh, when we start thinking about loyalty programs is the, the parents and, and grandparents of Gen Zs um, who were a big traveling kind of population who have accumulated significant uh, balances in loyalty currency. If that generation has decided at some point to look, I'm actually not going to travel as much anymore. And the likelihood of me utilizing all of this wealth from a loyalty currency, the, the likelihood of me exhausting that or kind of going through it is a lot less. I, I would encourage brands to think about coming up with ways to allow their, their Gen Z kind of grandchildren and children to start leveraging that currency and getting access to it and getting them kind of stimulated around travel and allowing them to realize that travel is readily available to them and, and allow them to kind of get that travel bug by utilizing their parents' kind of loyalty currencies. Now, their parents mightn't particularly like the idea of giving all of that away, but at the same time, I think it's an opportunity for brands to think about how do I make the currency a little bit more family friendly? Well, that's great. That's, that's really um, an interesting point. And I, I sit here as a parent in that situation wondering, how can I book travel for my daughter to go somewhere? And, and it's, I, I feel as though I'm gaming the system. And I think that type of flexibility, <laughs> right? Because it's on the balance sheet one way or another. And being able to engage that new demographic is absolutely a wonderful use of those dollars, right? Yep. Uh, so I think that's a great point. So, so to 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 kind of um, tie it up, uh, I'll ask you a, a big question, and I and I gave you all of twenty minutes probably to think about this, but about reinvention, really. So, you know, you have have led the transformation, if not the initial design, of uh, several programs out there, uh, both in the hospitality sector and the airline sector, and I know also in consumer sector. If you were called up by Sir Richard Branson or Arne Sorensen or Doug Parker, all CEOs of huge travel brands out there, and they were to give you total control of the loyalty program, how would you approach it? Knowing you do consultancy, and, and this is really what you do, but I mean, how would you approach what is a massive, incredibly difficult problem, but also a wonderful opportunity? It's a great and daunting question, but let me see if I can answer it this way. I think the first thing I would do is step back and think about what is relevant to today's traveler. 
or even consumer and how can I actually uh, ensure that what I'm putting together is relevant to them and that's how um, I think you can continue to ensure that you've got long-lasting relationships with your your customer base. Too many times programs kind of look at each other and look at what's already there and try and see if they can kind of get an angle on something. You're better off actually stepping back, engaging with your customer base and understanding what are the things that they think about? What are the things that they worry about? What are the things that they yearn for? And see if there's a way in which you can put together a value proposition that addresses all of those, their concerns, what they yearn for, and how easy is it to, to uh, understand and utilize. If you can get to that, I think, you will have a long-lasting and sustainable loyalty proposition. Um, it's got to make sense for the business as well. But at the end of the day, I've always said that loyalty kind of is a two-way street. It's it's not just about the customer being loyal to your brand. It's about you being loyal to them. Um, and it's important that we kind of do start thinking about this through the consumer lens and are the, what are the concerns that, that I can address and how easily can I do it? And then always remember that loyalty doesn't have a finish line. It, it's, it has to be continuous involvement and um, that has to be done by continuous conversations with your customer base, making sure that you're in tune with what's going on uh, at the macro level and seeing that you're you're continuing to stay relevant because you know what's relevant today and we've seen this with COVID. you know what was relevant in in january is not relevant now and we've got to make sure that we continuously uh, evolve and adapt so that's 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 how i would approach it that's fantastic i i think uh knowing what people concerns uh understanding what they yearn for what they dream for um, and making it easy to interact and understanding the two-way street. Those are those are true words of wisdom. While there's no finish line to loyalty, uh, our time is about up. But but I want to thank you, Dave. It's so important in this time and, and so many so many jobs and and really our experiences rely upon what the future holds. So thanks for coming on to CX Loyalty's uh, podcast and, and sharing that. And I wish you good health um, and travel in the future. And look forward to seeing you in person soon. Cheers, Chuck. Um, stay healthy. Uh, wear a mask. We'll do. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.